Hey, welcome to Trainable, the video podcast where we all engage in radical, honest conversations to simplify, socialize, and kickstart our well-being journey. Join me as I'll chat with experts from various fields from all around the world, together with mates and everyday people like you and me. Together, we'll unravel the challenges we face in our daily lives and extract those valuable, trainable insights, cutting through all that noise out there in the industry. Think of Trainable as your virtual dinner party where we break down the complexity without the need for a PhD and focus on taking those simple steps to become better than we were yesterday. We're all on our unique journeys and there's just so much to learn from each other. I can't wait to share these enlightening conversations with you. Welcome to this week's episode of Trainable and today is a very profound episode. I've actually got three amazing guests and actually in their own right I should have been doing an episode with each of them individually but I've got them all here today and we're going to be unpacking I guess that the topic is going deeper, mastering mindfulness in sport and life. But it's so much more than that today as well. I've got so much takeaway out of it. I mean, the, I guess the areas in life that we're kind of considering around all of this is actually what is mindfulness? You know, let's start to really unpack what that is and how can we actually utilize this in our daily life all the way through to this propensity in life to kind of move away from pain. Why do we do that? And are we actually losing some of the lessons that we actually can seek in the darkness around this as well? All the way through to even talking about death and our realization that sometimes we aren't going to be living forever. And if we were actually thinking more along those lines, would we actually live differently? And to unpack this today, I've just got these absolutely extraordinary guests. And I've got Asha Pakman. Asha Pakman is... um, a mentor to so many different people and he's had a, a career of nearly 20 years in the corporate world. Then he had some tragedy in his own life that he'll talk about with his sister and his mother and even through his own health and battle with cancer. But beyond all of that, his reflection on life and how he supports others now is just absolutely phenomenal. He's one of the clearest thinkers and one of the most, I don't know, um, deep thinkers towards humanity and the a, a way of living well that I think a lot will take away from today's discussion as well. And I feel really privileged having him on the show today. And joining him is two people that are important in his life and have actually sought the benefit from Asher over these times as well, but just extraordinary people in their own rights as well. I've got Cody Waitman. A lot of him a lot of people will know him as the young gun from the Western Bulldogs. But listening to Cody today He's uh, 21 years old. It felt like I was sitting here getting schooled by a a 60-year-old who with so many different life's experiences. And it's how he actually, his life philosophy, how he lives, how he uses mindfulness and how he starts kind of navigating his life, particularly with the fame that kind of comes with AFL football and his his interests that sit outside of life as well, but really grounding with some amazing strategies of how he used mindfulness in his life. And joining him is Hannah McDonald. 
McDougal, who, if you have not heard about Hannah McDougal, then you need to. Um, she's an extraordinary person, um, a Paralympian. Um, she had um, was born with a congenital limb deficiency, um, which has definitely not held her back in any form of life. She's been an Olympian bronze medalist in Athens, and that was in uh, swimming, then moved to cycling in 2008 at the Beijing, was the team captain there. And now, would you believe, is actually transitioning and going for the next Olympics as a triathlete. But even more than that, just to make us feel like we're not succeeding enough in our own life, she's got a doctorate in athlete well-being, is a well-known speaker, and just someone who I'm just so fortunate to feel like she's in my life now because I just took so much away from this conversation. So as we all navigate through our life, I think today is a deep, profound discussion using how do we use mindfulness, how do we show up in life, and what is a life well lived. So I think you'll get a lot out of it because I definitely did today. Hope you enjoy. I feel like the kid on holiday at the smorgasbord, not knowing what to eat first because we've just got such rich stories and just amazing, amazing people. We've got Hannah McDougall, um, we've got Cody Waitman, and we've also got Asha Packman. And I just, um, firstly, thanks for giving up your time on a Sunday afternoon as well. It's a, a pretty big commitment. And, and Asha, you've just come from a, uh, a session as well with 24 people, so you must be dr- pretty drained there, mate. Yeah, you know, there's, there, I'm... I'm Kind of feeling elated, you know. You feel fantastic after those things, but I can feel I can feel the tiredness definitely. But um, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, awesome, mate. So, look, I'm, I thought I just might start, and um, it's kind of like one degree of separation from Kevin Bacon. We're all kind of here today because of Asher as well. And it's sometimes there's that concept of you know the teacher shows themselves in different moments when we kind of need these kind of life lessons as well. And and I know you're a humble bloke, mate. But I thought it'd be a great way to start. So. Maybe, Cody, just how, how did Asher come into your life and what was kind of happening at that stage, mate? Yeah, really random. So <laughs> I, um, I'd just been drafted to the Western Bulldogs and after the draft interview, I spoke about doing a little bit of dabbling in meditation, stuff like that, um, in like a live interview. And then um, I just happened to be living in Albert Park at the time and with Mitch Wallace went down to do some recovery down at um, MSAC. And just by pure chance, it was quite funny, he's Mitch Wallace's, he was at the time like a, a pretty recognisable player and we're out in public and someone yells out, like, Cody. And I was like, <laughs> not, not supposed to recognise me yet. Um, and, yeah, it was obviously Ash. So we had a quick chat there and uh, Meditation Australia conference was coming up and that was sort of the um, what you were sort of planting the seed for, I guess, at the time. And, um, yeah, it didn't end up going ahead with the COVID stuff. Um, but, yeah, it probably didn't realise, but Ash was going to enter my life in a bit more of an influential way than – just a random bloke at the local pool. Um, and, yeah, now I've got a, a great relationship that I'm super grateful to have. Oh, that's fantastic, mate. And we'll definitely unpack that. And, and Hannah, what about you? How did, how did Asher kind of enter into your life? So I was sitting in a lecture theatre absorbing all of this wisdom at what I would call a wellbeing conference. And Asher was the MC for the event. And I just remember this really flowy white top, some pretty comfy looking pants <laughs> and no shoes. And I was just like, this is my person. It was mainly the no shoes. Yeah. And I remember thinking, this is my biases coming into play. 
how is this such powerful looking man up there talking to me about being kind, being compassionate? And it just blew my mind in terms of completely wiping the stereotypes of the biases. I, and so then the his name came onto my radar and I did a little bit of Googling and, you know, all the things on Wikipedia. And so then just a course came up and I got to meet Asher in person and then we got chatting and I, I've been a part of the Fifth Direction now for a couple of years and it's a pretty special place to be, one of the few places where I find online that when you have a conversation, a circle, a meeting, whatever it might be, that you actually feel connection as opposed to just staring at a screen. And that's pretty rare. So it's been a couple of years and I'm sure there's many more stories that will come, uh, but it's been a pretty awesome journey so far. It's um, it's it's fantastic. I know Asher and we we were chatting, and we've kind of been you've on each other's radar, but you know I've 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 definitely followed you from afar and and always respected you. And I think when we spoke about today and what we wanted to chat about, you know, we're talking about you know going deeper, you know, mindfulness in kind of sport and life today. But I think the the area that is this fascinating understanding all of your stories is the go deeper part. You know, we, we often think about mindfulness and we see a yoga mat under someone's arm and, you know, trotting off down the road and, you know, it takes work, you know, and, and I'm, I'm really fascinated, Asha, because maybe if we can rewind a little bit, you know, one of the things is you're just so brave in what you talk about, right? And you probably touch on things, but do it in a way which kind of sheds light on life in different aspects and you take from it. And one of those is death. You know, and and our and our relationship as human beings with death is a really interesting thing, and there's some observations there. And I know, you know, you've you were 20 years in corporate, you know, um, and which I can absolutely relate to as well. And then, you know, do you mind sharing 2007? You know, which was a really pivotal point in your life, which is kind of leads us a lot to today as well. Just kind of share your story, mate. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not going to let it go first without saying I feel like it's my birthday. All these beautiful, <laughs> I mean, such kind words. Yeah, thank you guys. I, I really appreciate that. But, um, I mean, yeah, you're right. You know, um, 2007 was a big year for me. You know, it was a complete and utter um, change of, of trajectory, you know. Um, up until that point, I'd done I'd done the thing, you know. Yeah. Um, grew up in Melbourne, went went to private school, went went to university, got, got a corporate career and, you know, that was my idea of what life was and success was something external of me that you kind of went chasing and you just ticked the boxes and kept kind of moving up the corporate ladder. Brian, I'm sure you know all yeah. about that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and then, although I will say this, that it, all the way along um, my corporate career, there was something gnawing away at me that something wasn't quite right, you know? Um, I call it a sort of gnawing in the guts. Yeah. Where and, and But you sort of just paint over the cracks, you know, maybe just go out and have a couple of extra beers and kind of like, Shove it further down, yeah. um, and then in in two thousand and seven, um, I, I actually um, my younger sister uh, took her life, um, my uh, my only sibling, and it just it just I mean as I'm sure anyone out there who's listening yeah. has been through something similar, it just it just ripped me apart, um, and it I just really looked at my life for the first time. I kind of turned the needle one hundred and eighty degrees and and looked inside and. Um, asked big questions yeah. like what, who am I and um, what am I doing on this planet and, you know, what's the meaning of my existence and, and 
got some really interesting answers back and uh, and that was the change of um, it, it really changed my whole life um, my relationship to my family friends um, myself particularly and what um, were they mate like because it was there whispers leading up to that point there were whispers and you know I have this kind of um, um, I guess theory which I know Han and, and Cody would have would have heard many times before this idea of um, you know the feather the brick and the train yes. like I feel like um, the world is always calling to you. Well, I believe it's your soul calling you, you know, back to itself. Um, but it really comes through manifesting external events and we get these messages all the time, you know. Um, and like I say, it sort of begins, if you're a little bit off your game, off your purpose, it starts off as a little, you know, tickle under the chin. Yeah. Um, most of us tend to completely ignore that um, through distractions, you know, through, you know, anything from your social media to drinking down the pub to gambling, porn, whatever whatever it is. Yes. Um, and then, you know, the voice gets louder. It's a bit of a punch in the face. Um, and if you still don't listen, it generally winds up as a bit of a train wreck when you've really got no choice. Um, and so, um, you know, for me, that was kind of, I needed a fairly big life lesson and, um, you know, uh, more things happened, you know, beyond the loss of my sister before I really woke up. Um, but, you know, that, that was the beginning. And what, what happened from there? Did you actually start making changes then? Or? Look, I, I think I, I, was, I was starting to pay more attention yes. that the changes weren't coming in quite yet. Um, you know, my mum was quite ill um, and she, um, she, we lost her as well a couple of years later. Um, and then I had um, a cancer diagnosis myself um, and that was kind of ground zero for me. Um, I ended up spending a bit of time um, in the institutional care and, you know, really kind of everything from that moment on was different and, you know, the second half of my life kind of began um, from, from, a, from a blank canvas basically. And what was, the, what was the framework that you saw life differently from that point, mate? Is it just that you valued life differently or you just looked back on life and thought, you know, um, you know, trying to contextualize what what purpose is and why we're on this planet, and I mean, what are the big big questions that you ask yourself? Yeah, look, I think it was exactly that, you know. And I, I feel I I realized that I've been living a fairly self centered existence. You know, it's pretty much all about me. I was the center of the story. Yeah. Um, and I think when these things um, happen to you, um, and I'm sure many people listening can relate, um, everything just gets a little bit bigger. Um, and you start feeling just, you know, compassion for others and, yes. and, and you realise that, you know, um, that your life is actually, you're here in service to life, not in service to your own life. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, And that, so that, that's a huge differentiation to make. Um, you know, I often hear people say life is short. Well, yeah. actually life isn't short. Our lives, you know, our individual lives are short, but life itself is, is not short life it's you know i'm not the center of the story of yes. life and so you begin to serve that yes um and as a result of that that's that to me is the way to find um happiness you know it's to be in service to that bigger you know yes. life with a capital l it's um it's fascinating because I, I mean cody you're so young mate still and i say that in with all due respect mate and you know you you, you look at your career and it's very much people don't think potentially around the deeper questions or being mindful, you know, you look at your first season, you know, you got your three games and if, you know, I kind of, I've heard you talk about kind of asking various different questions at different stages. How, how did you start 
to kind of reshape your kind of aspect and and start thinking differently around, I guess, your career? Yeah, I think um, I've always been a fairly curious sort of person. Um, so I do enjoy the the tougher questions and diving into those and, and not having answers and, and trying to work your way through it to find those. Um, but yeah, I think there was a particular time after my first year where um, I'd probably met Asher eight months earlier or so. And um, that's when I really started to notice the, or probably for the first time, acknowledge my anxiety, my performance anxiety, um, that fear of failure. Um, it was the first time really publicly that I was yeah. scrutinized, not scrutinized, but I could feel it like it, just because it was so much more with the crowd and everything just, just put more on. Um, through that, I guess, I sort of got much more curious about um, the mental side of football because I was still as physically capable as I was when I was just being drafted. Um, but I knew that there was a, a kink in my armor and I needed to, to address that. Um, and that's still a working progress. It always will be. I don't think yeah. I'll ever, there's no, I don't think there's any no, end goal on journey, that at all. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I'm loving that, that journey itself. Um, continuously having conversations with people like Asher and, um, challenging myself, putting myself in positions that are going to expose things and, and try to, um, do that more and more and get more uncomfortable, um, and, and get comfortable being, being like that, I guess. So that was where the curiosity really set in. And then, um, from then on, it's been a, a real journey, um, of trying to find answers and, um, learn new things. Could you talk about like embracing the moment at times? What does that actually mean? Yeah. So, um, I think the, we re, we ended up rewording the anxiety, what it is to me sort of thing or in general. And, um, I think I now look at when I get that nervous sort of feeling or that lethargic feeling pregame and, um, you don't normally want that as an athlete. You want yeah. to feel good and charged up and strong and powerful. Um, I now actually recognize that feeling as this is just acknowledging and telling me that I'm alive right now. Like whatever I'm doing, I really care about and my body's just preparing me for this. Like it, it wants me to be ready for this because it knows I care about it. Um, whereas in part, and that gives me real comfort knowing that like, okay, like my body's just getting me ready for whatever this is. Yeah. It's something I like. It could be this podcast doesn't have to be a game. It could yes. be whatever I'm invested in. And, um, there's no reason to, to hide from that. Whereas I think my, probably my first 18, 19 years, I always would get that feeling and really push it away, hide that. Yeah. Like, oh, that, that's almost vulnerability. It's weak. It's not going to help me perform. Just pretend it doesn't exist. And that's when it really festers and can really take over and have a really impact on you. So yeah, acknowledging that and, and then embracing it, flipping the script a bit, that was a, a real big thing for me. It's unbelievable, mate. And also to kind of have that, um, I guess, insight, you know, like I think at 21, I, I don't know, or I was still probably, or you probably, what, how old are you then? Maybe 19 when yeah, you're thinking that 2019, through. 2019, yeah. kind of thinking that through. And I think there's a lot of people listening today that can kind of take something from that as well. But now, Hannah, I, I, I just got to say that, when I have been stalking you, it is just what an extraordinary <laughs> bloody career. I mean, it's just, and I want to make sure I absolutely get this right, um, if that's okay. Um, so that, you know, f at birth you had a, a congenital uh, limb deficiency. Is that what it was? And then can you explain what actually that is, Hannah? Yeah, sure. So you you can only hear my voice at the moment. So being born essentially without a foot. Yes. Uh, 
is called a congenital mm. limb deficiency. Uh, and then I'm now in the basket of being both conge- a congenital amputee as well as an acquired amputee. Yes. Because a couple of years ago I had further surgery to my stump, a.k.a. the stump stenator, to make it a better shape for a prosthetic and to potentially still a theory but it's looking promising open the door to running and therefore other athletic pursuits it's amazing it's because it, like your mum also is like growing up you know you're thinking about i just seen all the things that you've been able to accomplish i mean being an olympian at 14 and going to athens i, I don't even i was I was sitting in front of probably who's the boss or something like that in TV. <laughs> Still, I don't know what I was thinking around those times. How, how was the mindset like growing up? Because you've just extra, you've achieved extraordinary things, and maybe a theme through life is you know sometimes we identify you know by what we do um, and trying to detach from that. And you've been able to do that on several occasions. Was that something learnt or, or from younger age, or how do have you processed life through that? Oh, there's a few questions in there, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> Let's unpack it. <laughs> Let's sit back. Okay, yeah. so I think one of the first pieces of advice that I was given within this sporting nexus was by a gentleman by the name of Don Elgin, who's also a fellow amputee. And he said, Han, if you want something badly enough in life, then get off your butt and do something about it. Mm-hmm. And... Combine that with a mother who, if you looked at her diary and just as an example, she was a single mother raising two kids who were under, so we were five and zero, and she was working full-time, studying an MBA and making decisions between keeping the house or keeping the car and food wasn't in abundance, et cetera, but that was the kind of person that she was in terms of I'm just going to make this work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so within this environment, I was very much a doer and had the attitude of why not? Yeah. Uh, Let's go give it a whirl. Not to say that there wasn't many times that mum's shoulder was just covered in tears and snot and all of the things from coming last again at the school athletics carnival or whatever it might be. But then discovering this world of the Paralympics where there's other people who are missing different bits, et cetera, and you're in that environment and you feel like you're with your people. Yeah. So I've had that moment a few times in my life and the Paralympics being in that journey. I think I was slightly older than 14, but maths has never been my strong point. Yeah. Uh, and so it was very, we were young and I, and I look back and you didn't, you had so many unconscious, uh, unconscious unconsciousnesses, yeah. <laughs> things that you just don't know about. Yeah. And so that was almost a blessing in terms of how ignorant you were. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I think while mum was my biggest supporter and my biggest advocate and, you know, let's just go make this happen, Han, I I have had to shift from all of those ingrained 
people would ask me if they could have a meeting, for example, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, we can catch up for coffee in three mm. weeks at 2.30 p.m. for 45 minutes yeah. and because my, my diary was just nuts. And so then shifting into this space of mindfulness and breath and well-being has been super tough and uncomfortable because yes. it goes completely against this robot person that I was. Yeah. So that's, I think going to be a lifetime of learning uh, and changing those early conditioning patterns, which we look at everything, right? And uh, it can be a remedy or a poison. Yes. Uh, It's all about finding that Goldilocks of what's just right at this moment and what's helpful for me right now. What's what's driven you all these years? I mean, you've gone and just done, you know, you're from obviously – you know, swimming, cycling, triathlon, you know, you're now going, trying to get to another Olympics as well, which is phenomenal. What is, can you just run us through, I mean, what, what drives you and what, what is it inside of you that makes you want to do that? Really good question. <laughs> I ask myself quite often and I've had to ask myself over the past couple of years, as you recognize and you're told from day dot, the moment you work, walk into, for example, the Victorian Institute of Sport, your elite sport career can only last for a certain amount of time. You're not going to be an 80-year-old still yeah. doing this sport. You have a finite time. And so we need to start preparing for that transition. Or I heard this beautiful analogy the other day of it's not a retirement or a transition. It's just think of it like a semicolon. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are we doing next? And so in terms of maintaining that drive, there's been many ups and downs. There's been burnout and that's one of the reasons why I changed sports in the first place. So two of them, one analogy I like to use is Pirates of the Caribbean number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Middle this. of the movie. Yes. When we have Captain Jack Sparrow sitting on that deserted island with Elizabeth Swan, a.k.a. Kira Knightley. Yeah. And she, you know, they found the rum and they're waiting to be rescued by the British uh, Royal Navy. <laughs> and she says to him, why are you so obsessed with this black pearl? So the ship that they spent half the movie is kind of yeah. one of the plots trying to get back for Captain Jack Sparrow. And he said, he turns to her and he says, you know, love, it's not just a, a master ship um, with a crew and um, what a ship is and what the Black Pearl really is, is freedom. And so for me, cycling is my freedom, it's my soul, it's my connection with other people, it's my connection with nature, it's my connection with myself, it's pushing myself, it's uh, being in the moment. And so there's this whole bucket that goes into that sport as well as perhaps a little bit of I can ride my bike when I'm relatively healthy for 100 or 200 Ks and not be impacted by my leg. Whereas yeah. I struggled previous to my surgery to walk a couple of hundred meters. So cycling opens the door to freedom. And then I decided to keep going and, and try this new sport of triathlon with a very conscious question, which I still don't know the answer to, but we've maybe had some lights of how do we combine sport and soul? Yes. 
And what does that look like? Because I want this journey to Paris to be full of soul. Um, so that, work in progress. Asha, this is absolutely in your wheelhouse from kind of head to heart. Mm. Can you kind of, can you start framing that up? Because I think that's something often lost in life. What, what's your, how do you view that? Yeah, look, I think a lot of what we're seeing out there in the world is people that are disconnected from soul. And I think these are the conversations that Han and I are having a lot. And, you know, um, Han talked about the, the community of people that we've gathered together at the Fifth Direction. And that's the journey. It's soul work. It's the journey home to, to soul. If you can bring soul into what you're doing. Um, you're... Can you define that, what soul is? Well, <laughs> yeah, I know, like, because a lot of people are listening going, oh, okay, so yeah, really good, but yeah. let's, like, can we go a bit deeper with that? Like, let's, can you unpack that for us, mate? Yeah, look, I think everyone sitting around this table is going to have a different answer yes. to that question. Yeah. You know, um, you know, it's, 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 it's the part of you which is, which is outside of time and space, you know. Mm. Um, it's the part of you that's kind of observing you in a way. Yes. Um, and, and is always there. Um, it's so hard to define um, yes. because, well, l- l- let's start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, in the, the word psyche is the Greek word for soul. Yes. So in, in essence, it's your um, consciousness. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, this is the physical body that I'm walking around in. Um, but what's the physical body containing? Like other than my physical organs, mm. it's containing something else, something infinite, something timeless. How you want to exactly define that, we could... We could have we could roll this podcast for the next yes you know ad infinitum and probably not come to a unified answer. Um, yes. It comes down to your individual definition. I mean, it's interesting. Hans talked about bringing soul to sport. Um, like your idea of that's going to be different from someone else who could say exactly the same sentence, right? Um, and I think that's that's the journey. But what I do believe is we have become you know very fixated on the physical body yeah. um, and 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 the, and the kind of what I would call the horizontal mind. You know um, the ego essentially, yes. and there we appear to have dismissed everything else. And it's my view that the distance between yourself and your soul is really going to be the depth of your um, your depression, your anxiety, your um, you know that that gnawing feeling that yes. I was feeling in my guts when I was in my in the corporate world was the distance between me and my soul. Does that make some sense? It does. So then, if yeah. someone's thinking about, am I aligned? with that at the moment or actually, you know, we're talking about not what, what we do from a physical but often trying to go deep into mm. why we want to be able to do these things and this is kind of gnawing when we're off track. Mm. I mean, how do people, you know, what what's, what's beautiful to listen to is that everyone seems to be on their journey, right, and we're all trying to find that in our own specific ways and it's amazing when you find it. You feel like you're in flow uh, in life in these types of things there'd be a lot of people that are just not feeling that. Mm. And, I mean, how do you go deep to actually start to We've to yeah. noise? Yeah, look, you've got to um, understand the, the language of soul because it, yeah. you're, not gonna, you're not really going to find it in, in you know, self-help books no. so much. You know, the language of soul is, is your creative expression. Yes. It's, you know, it, for some people it might, be, it might be poetry, it might be song, it might be art. You know, that's how we, how we connect in music. Um, you know, part of what I was doing this morning was actually involved in getting um, men to sing together. Yes, which is really outside most men's comfort zone. Yeah, but absolutely. when but when they do, something happens because they take a step closer to soul because they're talking in a different language. Yeah, and something happens, and a lot of men from just taking this morning as an example, something comes up. Yes, and you can't. It's almost unnameable. 
Yeah. But something's there. And yes. so there it is. You're starting to get an indication of what you should start to look at. Um, yeah, meditation, breathwork, these types of things too are all kind of soulful practices. You know, I believe when I sit down and close my eyes to meditate, it's just a conversation with my soul. Like I'm kind of like lowering the drawbridge Yes. Um, between myself and the other eye, the bigger eye, you know? It's fascinating. So that's, that's kind of where it is. And what I love about the conversation so far is that, you know, I, I don't see Cody and Hat. I don't look at them as, I mean, unbelievable athletes as they yes. are. I just see incredible human beings. Yeah. And, and that's where I think our, our relationships and conversations, like I'm not really here at the end of the day to, to help Cody be a better football player, but, um, but it, he will be. Yes. But, but we're, not, we're not talking about, you know, that you know, performance per se. Yes. Does, does that make sense? It makes it makes absolute sense. Yeah, yeah. And what, just you know, to to kind of riff a bit longer on that, you know, I, I, what I saw in Cody as a as a nineteen twenty year old, I remember walking along the beach with your brother at Middle Park, and like you, just just now in in this brief conversation so far, I was I was blown away by your depth, man. I just yeah, I was like. I was thinking to myself the same yeah. as what you said before. Yeah. Geez, when I was nineteen or twenty, yeah. like, I was miles away from from this. Yes. You know, um, what it also does is give me hope because yeah. a lot of men are saying, a lot of people are saying out there, like, "Where's masculinity? Where are the good men?" I'm like, if this man is 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 any example of what's coming through with our younger men, then I have a lot of hope. How do you stay grounded then, mate, Cody? Like when you think around that, and and that's beautifully put, mate. Really, and. Like, how do you stay grounded, you know, and and what's your daily practice to kind of keep that alignment? Um, well, thanks, Ash. I mean, I'm already loving this combo too. <laughs> I just love it. Every time you speak, I learn something. I, um, conversation is soul. That's such a good way to put it. I love it. Um, but, yeah, to get back to your question, um, pretty much just having a routine every day now is something that I'm, like, super into. Yes. Um, being pretty strict with that. Um, it's funny you saying I was almost the opposite to you. You were booked out. I was unbooked and erratic. <laughs> <laughs> and if I had to be here today at four, I was rolling in right before a four <laughs> and probably late. Um, that was just how I was operating at the time. And in a professional workplace, that didn't work that well. Yes. Um, missed my own debut meeting. I was late to it. Um, I was, I had a few things to address. Um, which is again being young and yeah, um, it was good to go through. It sort of taught me I needed to learn and, and even learn better things out of that. Um, but yeah, so the routine, I find that each day that in terms of staying humble, I guess it, it probably does have an impact. I'm from humble beginnings. I think my family's always um, well, they're people that have done well in sport and stuff and worked hard and and been humble. Mum and dad are extremely hard workers and yes. Um, that's all just for us kids. Um, so I think you learn a lot from them and the standards that they set. Um, but in terms of why I am, I think, humble, um, I think, yeah, it just comes back to every day doing the things that make me tick and prioritising them over trying to find the limelight or whatever that might be. What about social media and things like that? Because you you come under such scrutiny, right? And I've never thought, you know, growing up, like we didn't have that. Right, so you know you 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 can't get locked away from it, and you've got twenty four seven people kind of making comments. And I know even after the Essendon kind of game, and there's a whole range of things that surround you. How do you not detach? But what's your routine in not letting that affect you? I guess, or does it affect you? Yeah, well, it's a good way to get humbled if you want to. Yeah, <laughs> just go read them. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy part of it because social media can be such a 
amazing tool, um, can connect us so well and have so many benefits as an athlete, whether it's financially or as a resource connector or um, these types of thing, education. Um, so it's something that having is um, great to have, but then it's obviously got the cons as well. Um, and there's no book or there's not even many people, I don't think, that can really educate you and prepare you for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when it, when it did happen for me, when it started to really happen and um, the script changed from this happy-go-lucky kid that likes playing footy to a little shit that's getting mm. under the skin of opposition and the fans are um, coming against and, um, yeah, really trying to put you off your game. It definitely gets to you at the start. Yes. Um, it's You don't know what to do really. And it when it goes on for an extended period of time, like it did in my case, six months onwards, and yeah, um, it's not just social media, it's in public and... Everyone just feels like they're at you. Um, and it's obviously not a great thing you don't want. But again, I think we've talked about pain creates change and almost lean into that sort of stuff now when you get a moment like that or a situation that's really challenging you and it's putting you in an uncomfortable position. You know you're going to evolve with almost a system upgrade and come out of that better. And um, I think I deal with it quite well now. I actively avoid seeing the stuff that you don't want to see. Yes. But yeah, you're going to see it. So you need to learn how to address it and cope with it because avoiding it's not really a strategy. It's very similar to the anxiety stuff yes. until you lean into it and actually embrace it um, for what it is. It's, it's not going to leave. Funny. I had Jaddy on as well. And he was talking about like, he didn't look at um, media because it, not for the reason of the negative, but his yep. first article was super positive. And he goes, if I can't outsource my emotions, you know, cause if I feel this good about, a good article, what am I going to feel from from like a, a, a negative one? But were you going to say something, Hannah? Yeah, I was just curious, Cody, because you mentioned it earlier in the conversation too in terms of leaning into change and the difficult part of being a human being. What does that look like, feel like, a practice, a tool? What does that – can you bring that to life? Mm. Yeah, well, I think as humans we don't like change. We like being comfortable obviously. Mm. So um, – I think there's definitely moments where you can feel you're in that real, it feels like you're in that rat race and you you don't know where the journey is taking, where you're going. It looks dark and it's like, it's almost a good thing. I think again, you've talked about that to me where if it looks like there's light on your path, it's someone else's path probably. It's like, it's good mm -hmm. to be dark. Like you're going somewhere that's meant for you to go and explore and, and feel and find out for yourself. So I think actually, again, just acknowledging that feeling and saying, you know, when, when it's like, oh, I wish I was just there already or mm. I wish this was already happening or um, I was doing that better or whatever that is, um, being okay with where you are and understanding that you'll get there, you're just going to have to sit in this and it's it's going to be a good thing for you. There's no time limit on it, whether it's the fans hating you or whatever it is. It might be two years, it might be two weeks, but there's no at the time you don't know what that's going to look like. You just have to embrace it, let yeah. it come it'll look after itself and then there's these strange little benefits that come out of those situations that you do get to the other end of it and you're like, wow, like, yeah. how was having fans hate me a good thing for my brand? That's really weird. Like now you might get a bigger following or there's yeah. more <laughs> people get to know your story a yeah, bit more. You get sure. chances to speak about stuff like those situations and it re randomly repays you in a really cool way. How about yourself, Hannah? Like leaning into darkness is like it's amazing – analogy and I think it's something like society we kind of everything's about avoiding 
pain, isn't it? Like it's, and I, I don't know if it's more frequent now, but it just seems that it's a natural human area. And, you know, you, you look at the resilience and the highs and lows for yourself and there's been many, you know, is that something that you've, you, that you've lent into that or learned? Work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I was just really curious because I'm such a practical tell me how kind of mm. person. It's just like, okay, so did you sit down and do 20 minutes of breath work and you'd focused on this mantra or did you use this visualization and like leaning into this difficulty or whatever life is perhaps throwing our way. So as you mentioned, Ryan, there have been a few yeah. uh, hurdles and pits of darkness in the lifetime. And there's been different tools along the way um, and I remember one of them, especially during COVID, was what I heard is generally mm, our suffering is caused because we have a desire for something to be different than it currently is. And so for me during mm -hmm. COVID, that was, uh, <laughs> if we put things into a bucket, mum to not be dying of breast cancer, to not be in lockdown and living alone to not um, to have a fully functioning body and not have to bum shuffle up my stairs each night to get to my bed uh, at the end of a really long day and, and living alone and being quite isolated. Uh, so being in that moment, I remember one of the things that helped me get through was uh, Jimmy Rees, for one. <laughs> Thank you, kind sir. <laughs> and also this really simple practice of each time I had this thought or this feeling of that, oh, why is life so hard? I want this to be different. I'm blah, 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 and just like this self-pity party that goes on. Yeah. This really, instead of a, a strong athlete, yes, just an internal, gentle yes. Yeah. And you can feel, for me, I could feel that shift um, when you go from like punching things metaphorically and yes. maybe sometimes physically uh, to holding things, it changes that landscape probably from within and then you can start to take that step back to then, okay, where am I heading yes. values? Most of the time I just, I, I need sleep. Uh, yeah. People know 9pm, had it turns into pumpkin, need to be in <laughs> <Me> bed. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and then also I did the a Wild Salt course with Ash. A couple of years ago now. Two yeah. years ago yeah. now. Yeah. I, I, and during that course I'll always remember was the closer you're getting to soul, the harder it is. So you know when shit's hitting the fan mm -hmm. and you're in that dark place and life feels pretty damn heavy, that that's where those riches are going to come from. Sure. Uh, those major life lessons. And it's as much as I would love it to be a light switch and to have change happen overnight, mm. it takes time. Mm. It's taking small steps, small pushes each and every single day. It's doing the breath work when you don't feel like it. It's connecting with people when they're like, oh, let's catch up and mm. all you want to do is hide in your room. Yes. So it's taking those really small steps each and every single day 
and being kind to yourself. I think as athletes, I mean, I was taught, you know, no pain, no gain. Yeah. Uh, and I can push through a lot of pain, usually yes. to my detriment <laughs> uh, and to my body's detriment. Um, and so I, I think as I'm getting throughout, like, my career, there's been a lot of, okay, listen to the body. Is this a feather? Is it a brick? My body's actually telling me to stay in bed this morning and not to train. Yes. And having the confidence to tell my coach, I need a rest day. Yes. And being okay with that. So I'm, I probably when I first started doing that, there was a lot of, oh, my gosh, they're going to think I'm a, a weak athlete and blah, blah, blah. Whereas now there's more um, ease, I think, in knowing my body, knowing when to go hard, knowing when to pull back uh, and bank those sleep hours. And kind of listening more to, because we kind of, it seems like there's a theme kind of coming through and maybe Ashton can frame this up as well for us is that when, you, when, you, when you're getting to those moments in life and it feels like you can nearly touch the fire, so to speak, that's often when we start to retreat, mm. you know, and that's where, you know, where the biggest learnings are. And maybe as a society, are we just all not prepared to push through that, through those learnings, Ash, or is that... You know, where, where where are the learnings in life? And, and, you know, if someone's listening at home and thinking through that their life is just not feeling right, you mm-hmm. know, and we all get to that stage and you, maybe we, we, we kind of feel we can't put a finger on it, right? And and we're, then we're distracting ourselves with drugs, alcohol, you know, all the things that we spoke about at certain stages, but we need to kind of go closer to touch the fire. It's a terrible analogy probably, but... Is, how do people start navigating that, mate? Well, I think to turn around that analogy, the fire yes. on the inside is what you're looking for. Yes. You know, the heat inside you. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I think the tendency is when um, when shit starts to go wrong is to look externally of yourself for the fix, you know. It's like we want to yeah. fix everything and we're looking outwards with our eyes. But, you know, knowing that in here is the answer. And, you know, I'm, like a lot's been said. Um, we, yeah. we have, we've talked around, it seems like there's a theme popping yes. up. But all the way back to when Codes talked about um, – Fear. I mean, for me, when you feel that fear, when you feel that anxiety, like pre-match, as an example, it's because you're close to something important. You're close to something that's that's, that's really mm. important to you. Yeah. And so fear comes up. Like I often say our, our biggest fear is actually getting what we want. You know what I mean? Because then you've got nowhere to hide. It's so true. Like if I said to you, you can have exactly what you want right now, first thing that would happen is you probably couldn't tell me what that was, That's okay, which true. is really weird. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is if I gave it to you, you'd probably be scared shitless, right? Yeah, it's profound. So what we need to do is is is, is get in touch with ourselves and figure out who we are. Um, you know, life is about becoming yourself. Yes. Right? And the closer we are to learning who we really are, the closer you'll understand what your real desires are. Right. And, you know, it's a good analogy you use with the yeah. fire. It's just that the fire, the eternal fire that you need to go and sit around and listen is in the middle of your chest. Have we lost that ability? As, is, is that not taught? Is that it's not taught or spoken about enough? It feels like. Well, modernity is teaching us the opposite, you know, all yes. the way from when we put kids in school, we're taught the opposite of that. You and know, explain there's, that, mate. Well, there's a, the, the model is like, you know, um, it's it, everything is to be gotten from the world outside of you. You know what I mean? Mm. Like um, um, I often say, you know, um, the education model is um, is here's a few lessons, and then we'll test you on it. Yeah. What life is really about is um, um, y- you get a test, and then you learn the lesson. 
So, <laughs> so, so, so take Cody's example of having six months of, you know, hate mail coming through on social media. That's that's you know trial by fire. Yes, and then the lessons come afterwards. So that's true. the way life works. We've just invested. You know, I've got a nine-year-old son. He's getting a whole bunch of lessons, and at the end of the year, he'll be tested. Yeah, and that's just rote learning. Yes, that's just plumbed learning. Keeps in your head. the The way the heart learns, the way the the, the soul operates, is the is the inverse of that. So it's no surprise to me that you know when people talk about spirituality, it's all about it's basically about peak experiences. Yes, you know. So yeah. we, we turn in, yeah. and then we're looking to feel good. Yes. Which is a spiritual experience because the spirit is up. But the soul is down in the dirt. It's connected to Mother Earth. It's down in the dark. It's in the mud and the shit and the dirt. So we don't remember that, that a large part of our internal experience is actually going in and down, not up and out. So, you know, back to your question about the yes. yoga mat. Yeah. It's like, what are you going for? Are you going to actually hover above your problems and be actually outside of yourself, up in the sky, yeah. in the spiritual world for half an hour? Or are you actually going to close your eyes and meditate and you know i sometimes i sometimes liken meditation to a, a head-on car crash with your deepest fears yeah no one really likes to hear that it's but sitting sitting with yourself it's, isn't it? it's it's the ability to be with yourself no mm. matter what without judgment without evaluation and just acknowledge what's there it's funny because you look at all like the the health spam these days of uh you know, health influences and, and these types of things. And it's that in itself becomes the distraction, which is kind of ironic. Practically, when you think about, so let's call it mindfulness, right? And let's, let's talk about the practical elements of what we can do in our daily practice in to be able to do that. You know, I think, you know, often I chat to a lot of friends and they're like, meditation, oh my God, you know, I don't know how to do it and it's so hard and, you know, do I need to levitate and all these different things, which is which is not what it's about. C can you guys share a little bit around, you know, your daily practice and you've spoken a bit about that, Cody, as well, but what actually is mindfulness and meditation you've spoken about it but maybe the practicality of how you can create that in your daily routine mm, yeah i mean it's an interesting one um every, you can't no one's bad at meditation no we're actually meditating every day yes. even if you don't know it or not for parts of the day we're doing it in some way shape or form um but you know for me it always comes back to the idea that people think you have to carve out an hour out of your day and sit there and you know say your mantras and sit on a mat and you know and, oh, i can't fit an hour in my day mm. but it, it's not that at all. It's, it can be a couple of minutes here and there. You'd be surprised how much it adds up, you know. Yes. Um, although there is an old Zen saying which says, if you can't find 10 minutes a day to meditate, you should find an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. But my, my point being, um, you know, from, from, a, from a, I guess from a scientific point of view, it's this idea of being in coherence. Yes. Right? And we are all in coherence for parts of our day anyway. Like the human body knows how to do that. It's actually just paying attention to those moments. Mm. You know, one of my practices and, you know, is I've got a little picture of my nine-year-old son on my rearview mirror. And um, when I come and stop at a traffic light, like I'll just look at him, you know, mm. put my attention to the centre of my chest and just remember just how much I love that kid. Like, you know, you can feel it come up, you know, and then yes. I just sit there with that. Maybe it's 30 seconds and then and then the lights turn green and I'm off again. But you'd be surprised how much that adds up. And I've just put fuel back in my in my tank. Yeah. You know, like essentially, um, you know, it's all about resilience to life. Mm. And the reason that so many people get burnt out is because, you know, um, 
we we wake up with a battery, you know, yes. and basically then life starts coming at you, and you know by by nine o'clock in the morning you feel like you're drinking out of a fire hydrant. So true. And you know very quickly your battery's down to to, to the red. So what are you doing to a stop and check in? Mm. Say, hmm, close my eyes and where's my battery? And if it's low, then just do something to recharge it, which could just be some conscious breathing. It could just be a walk around the block. Yes. It could just be if you're at work, like just go and get a glass of water and just, you know, take a moment. Yes. Because the thing is, like, think about how much time we spend worrying about um, the battery on our iPhone. Like you pretty much know. <laughs> it's true. You pretty much know where you're at, right? Yeah. You, you don't even, you probably everyone here can know within 10% where their battery's at or at least yeah. have an idea. Yeah. Like that, we should be, that's, we should know. How are you, Cody? Four off. <laughs> right? 35 and 31. Right? So yeah. my point being is, you know, your your physical wellness is operating in a similar way. Yeah, Yet we, most of us don't, don't, aren't even aware where we're at battery-wise. And what happens to our own internal resilience battery is exactly the same as what happens to an iPhone, and that is it deteriorates over time. If you're flatlining all the time, like your iPhone, 100% isn't really 100% anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? How they yeah. how they start to wear yeah, out. So you can be fully charged, but that iPhone's probably only 70%, and eventually mm. it dies. Yes. So you, we have what's called a baseline. So the more we don't pay attention to this and the more we operate at redline all the time, our baseline's getting lower and lower and lower. So you're actually only waking up in the morning with 50% and then 40% and it's going down and, and it yeah. drains out quicker. I can relate to that so much. Right. So when we meditate, not only do we fill the battery up, but we actually reestablish a new baseline mm. so that over time 100% charge is really 100% charge. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, you know, that's a simple analogy that I like to use. So, you know, what I'm saying is the first step is to actually check in with yourself and just say, where am I at? Because I'm telling you now, if you're at 5%, you're not making good decisions. No. You know, and that means as a father, as a, as a friend, at yes. work, everywhere you're making bad decisions. So true, mate. Do you guys have a routine to be able to check in for this? Like how do you, like if, how do you practically do that? Yeah, I've got so much coming to mind already through that <laughs> conversation. Um, I'll, hopefully this will answer a bit more of your question too, Han. Um, but for me, yeah, when I was sort of in this erratic mode and um, I would go through these hardship times, I didn't cope well with them because oh, everything was just too hard to deal with. Like it was no structure, no time to set aside for addressing it or looking inter internally. So now I, I try to really make sure I get up the same time every day. I go to bed at the same time every day, but at either end of my day, I have some good structure, so mm. some similar sort of patterns. One, because it sort of allows my body to know I'm, I'm winding down or I'm winding up, so it gets me into like my rhythm. Yes. Um, but also I think it just keeps me so much more organised. I used to, like I said, I'd rock up if I had physio at the club at 7.40, I'd be there at 7.39 running in probably later. Um, and so now I'm, no, I'm going to get there 15, 20 minutes early maybe stretch, which is an added bonus, but my alarm will go off at the same time every day. So it's 6.15, regardless if I have to be there at eight or whenever it is. Um, and then from there, I'm going to try and find some way to do some mindfulness. So again, it's not grab my yoga mat, yeah. go and Zen for a half an hour and um, feel great. It could be literally, no, I don't feel like doing that. Some days it is that I want to do that. I feel like that. Mm. Um, but it's totally fine not to feel like that. And I think most people would have moments where they're like, I don't really want to do that today. Um, so it might be, I'm going to just walk 
up and down the street without my phone, which is so rare for some of my age. Yes. And I'm just going to see how many things I can hear, like, and properly drop into it. So good. And you'll come back and, again, you've probably recharged your battery from doing that without even feeling like a chore at all. Um, so, yeah, I'll often I'll go into that. And then even as simple as when I get my coffee now, I really try and taste it. Like, yeah. you might call me a coffee <laughs> snob now, but that first sip, I want to actually, instead of just being there on my phone, yeah. quickly sipping because I want some energy out of this. Like, it's, I'm going to sit there and feel the coffee. Where's the best coffee? Um, well, there's a few. Chapel Cafe in Port <laughs> Melbourne, very good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Java, I better say, he gives me free coffee. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too good, too good. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of my morning, sort of mm. how that roughly looks. Um, and then similar at night, you know, get similar bedtime, try and read a couple of pages. It's amazing how undisciplined I can be with that. But um, when I start spiralling and I start going through these hard, harder times, I often notice I'm dropping parts of my routine and I, I haven't maintained them. And mm. if I really lock in on that, two or three weeks go by, I'm starting to feel really in control again and mm. charged up and, um, yeah, probably compliment sort of what you're saying there. Yeah, I want to pick up on a few things that yeah, kind of said there. Um, like I really like the idea of the walk around the block without the phone um, because, you know, again, and let's get back to the language of soul, that the greatest thing you can do is connect back to nature, right? So, you know, I think codes at one point we talked about like pre-game, like, like walk out on the ground in bare feet wow. and just really yeah. feel, you know, the grass under your feet. You know, and these are ways we can, you know, that, that's going to put a lot of charge back in the battery, you know. But, you know, take a proper walk around the block. Like I don't mean walking around the block yes. thinking about your next meeting. Like really like slow yeah. down, slow down your pace. To and the your point. breathing. Yeah, and just and your breathing and actually pay attention. Like, you know, Code said, what can you hear? Like that is such important stuff, like the birds singing and just just slow down, Yeah, you know doesn't matter what you've got at the other end. Just yeah. take the time. You, it's going to pay off, you know. So there's that one. And I also just like the idea of the tasting your coffee and things like that. These are yes. these little micro moments. Like, like we all say, oh, I love coffee, you know, or whatever you love. But it's like how often do you just remember why? Like actually taste it. Don't just have it in the back of your mind that you mm. love it and then belt it down. Yes. It's like, you know, you talked about death earlier. Yes. Like, you know, the old Zen idea is like every coffee is your last coffee. Yeah. yeah, every sip of tea is your last because one day you'll be right. Yes. So why not enjoy the shit out of it? Do you know what I mean? Almost like, like relationships as well, I guess. Well, it is about relationship. Yeah. And, and the other thing that Code said was was discipline. And I think, you know, when I hear the word discipline, it can sometimes feel like kind of almost beating yourself up to mm. get up in the morning and go to the gym and then if you miss one or, you, you, you know, you're dirty on yourself and all that stuff. But really what discipline means is something else. It's, I like the word fidelity. Yes. I like the word, like, like be in relationship w with whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. Um, because it's not, at the end of the day, what's putting charge back in the battery is not um, more than um, mastering something and doing it well. It's actually just the practice of practice. Yes. It doesn't matter what you're doing to a certain, you know, through a certain lens, but practicing, practicing. Yeah. You know, uh, mastery just comes as a result of that. So for me... It's not about practicing meditation. It's just practicing the art of practice. Yes. Um, and that's the thing which is really going to drop you in. I don't know if you guys, that resonates with you guys. Yeah, and I think even with that, it's probably good to note, like it's this is not because I want to be a good footballer. It's just I want to be the best human I can possibly be. Yeah. So for like the people listening, it's not because I'm an athlete at all. Yes. It's, it's because I'm in constant pursuit of 
upgrading myself and being the best version and I'm a lot closer to that than what I once was, but I'm still so far off that. Yes. Um, but these are the little daily things that allow me to, when I do miss a few kicks at training, I'm not cursing myself and I'm not missing the next kick because of that. I can drop in back to where I was on my walk. Notice that calm state. Next time the ball comes, I hit the kick and it, it has a bit of a more of a method when I'm out there. That is an athletic term, but yeah. um, in terms of just day to day, if it's the way you communicate with mom or whatever it is, there's a calmer presence to it a bit more of a yeah method within the life it's not really just about how productive you are at your job or whatever i think mm. there's so much more to it yeah, we've often used you know in code and i speaking it's like football becomes a metaphor yes because football is a, a fantastic metaphor for life mm. yeah it, it really really is yeah. and like you know code's talking about anxiety before the game or, or you know what he does but w- what's your game yeah you know when are you having to show up is it you know when you get home from work being a dad mm. you know or, or being a mum Yes. It, that's your moment. So maybe just before you go inside, don't bring work into the house. Like actually have a moment where you sit in the car and have a practice, Yeah. you know, because that's your game day. It is. You're about to go in and you've got a certain amount of time before your kids go to bed or whatever. So, you know, aim for best on ground. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and in order that's to true. do that, you've got to be showing up as the best version of you. So if you don't have a practice where you kind of change states or something, that's going to be really, really hard. It's so true, man. Yeah. Like, you know, I got a mate who, who, um, before he walks in the door, he's got, you know, he's got a big gig in the work world. He pisses on a tree. It's a lemon tree. So it grows. <laughs> well, we've all been but, there. But he's like, but, but, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, he closes yeah. his eye. He's like, yes. okay, like, you know, it's almost like that, that, you know, what he's doing is actually getting rid of the day in yeah. a kind of almost a quite a literal way. Yes. And then, and then he arrives at home and he's dead. And, and that's just epic as far as I'm concerned. And that, that's 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 showing up, and so you know, code says, yeah, we're not all athletes out there, but it's a great metaphor. It's so true, mate. It's, right? it's it's that. I mean, that's profound. I think people will be listening, going, God, I've got some things I can do and reflect upon mm. in my daily lives mm. around all of that. And do you have any reflections on that? And and also, I mean, you've got a PhD in wellness. Is that what it is? Athlete well-being. Athlete yeah. well-being. <laughs> yeah. So, what, I mean, if you think about the general. Um, I guess the general well-being, you know, mindfulness is part of that. You know, what are the other areas, you know, that I guess other people can kind of take away from just considering a general well-being and I guess your experience as well around that mindfulness as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, for me, I keep hearing through this conversation and would like to highlight it is gratitude. Yeah. Mm. So gratitude towards each other, the gratitude for what you have in life. You can practice gratitude in so many different ways. And I am a really big fan of Hugh Van Kylenberg and his work on the Resilience Project yes. and the stories that he tells and how he shares this story about how you can be grateful in the moment through his journey to India and um, meeting with a little student over there called Stanzen and how we can practice being mindful, not only for things that have happened, but things that are happening right now. So for me, how I implemented that within my life or how we bring it into each day was one of my mates, I was getting so excited about telling this story about Stanzen and how beautiful it was and how people who don't have many things Mm. are so rich 
And through telling that story with a mate, we now send a daily gratitude text to each other. That's great. Uh, just to check in. And so it's almost like, yes, it makes you realize how many things each day you can be grateful for, even when it's pouring, <laughs> like it has been in Melbourne quite recently. Uh, but there is so much to be grateful for. And then you can, I think, become aware of how that feels in the body. And so then you're tapping into the here and now, yeah? So you can kind of do a little bit of a combination yes. of techniques there. Mm. Uh, and then one that I also really value and I think brings to life, you know, the various research-backed well-being principles is with my best mate, uh, Britt, who I live with, another athlete, crazy cat that she is, <laughs> and going through an amazing semicolon transition mm. into retirement. And we've developed a, uh, a routine, a tradition, a ritual around it's not every night, it just if we happen to be at dinner at the same time, so we sit down, we have our dinners ready. It's generally about 6, 6.30 because we like to eat relatively early. And we have a set of mindful eating cards and when we take it in turns and one person picks it out and generally it's always the way where you pick out the one that says, I'm truly going to taste the first mouthful of my meal tonight and we're <laughs> scoffing our faces. Uh, and then there's a card in another deck around whether it be some of those philosophical dilemmas in life mm. or just getting to know you, et cetera. And so we put the phones away, we have music playing and we just sit with each other and we talk for at least half an hour and we connect with each other. And for me, I, I look forward to that. I, uh, the conversations that we have, the, the connection it creates over the meal. So I think you've got some really winning ingredients in there yes. instead of sitting down and, you know, not that I'm – we did watch Ted Lasso because yeah. it was a beautiful <laughs> TV series. It's a great show. <laughs> uh, but we made the time for that and you've got to eat, right? So it's not as if you're doing – taking away from something else. So good. Yeah. It's, it's, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I just think mealtimes is an oh. awesome opportunity because I liked what um, Han was saying there about the importance of ritual. <clears throat> yes. Like bringing ritual. Have we started to lose that like in the family unit? Do Completely. Yeah. People are looking at their phones. I mean, I'm, you know, this is yeah, no, no, what please. I see. Yeah. But, so, you know, yeah, we have. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and I think we need to bring back that sort of reverence around sitting down with human beings that you love and sharing in food. Yeah. Like there's just, it's, it's, it's rich for, for all the things that Han's talking about there. The yeah. episode um, recently with Rod and Ash Butters was that, you know, having, creating those moments, the families that create moments where you can have discussions over the dinner table and understand what's happening in the day, often have a, a greater propensity to understand what the kids are doing and kind of being able to have more open conversations. It's interesting when, I, when I'm kind of, you know, I'm doing my own work at the moment. I am completely work in progress at the moment, that's for sure. But I try to sometimes as well think, you know, about, I actually I think it's a stoic kind of um, thought pattern of actually picturing that that person's not there anymore and then walking in the door again and knowing that they're then just that joy of seeing them. So taking your mind or going to end of life sometimes and trying to look back and, and it, and it's 
sometimes it's like when it's the loss and we don't look at death and we think we've got this permanence that we're going to be here forever and we're kind of creating this important, we kind of discount time in life, don't we, sometimes because we feel like we've got a lot of it, but this current time so valuable and we're missing all these things by just, you know, distracting ourselves and, 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 and not understanding what's important in life, I guess. Oh, 100%. This is, you know... Um you mentioned at the beginning we might end up talking about the wisdom yes. of death and, you know, as I said, it comes up when Code has that cup of coffee, you know, it might be the last one he has. Like one day that will be true. Yes. So why not savour every, every one, right? Um, and same with speaking with people. Like I, I, I in, in Australia we have a lovely way of saying farewell. What do we say? We say see you soon. It's mm. pretty presumptuous. Um, and I'm going to, I'll get deep for a moment and say that's, that's the last thing that I said to my sister and I was wrong and it haunts me. So, you know, being present with people and it doesn't mean that when you leave them it has to be some profound thing because you'll never see them again and oh my god that might mm -hmm. something might happen to you but just notice you know what and just be there you know take care or something like see you soon it almost feels to me like i, I desperately don't want anything to happen to you mm. <laughs> you know that's, that's what i'm saying yes like i'm almost kind of trying to put some you know, yeah some kind of magic spell so that so that that happens which is really just kind of ignoring you know, the uncertainty of life. With your own cancer as well, mate, if I, if, it, mm. if it feels okay to ask that mm. question, do you see the world differently because of that as well, do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, look, it's been, you know, um, there's definitely been gifts. It would be, you know, it, it would be wrong of me to say that, that you know, um, I haven't had gifts through that journey. There's no doubt that I have. But what's interesting is th it, it, they weren't gifts that weren't already there. Does that make mm, sense? Yes. It's like... People say, what's it like to be living with cancer and, and knowing that, um, you know, one day you might die. And I'm like, mm. strange question. It's like yes. we're all terminal. Yeah. It's like oh, you, t you tell me. <laughs> so true. You know, it's like I like a, it, it seems could be like, any minute. It seems like a little, yeah. it's almost like that I might have some special wisdom. I'm like, I'm no different from you really. Um, and the fact insight. is, you know, I, I, I have a, a cancer which won't go away. So I'll, I'll die um, with it. But it's no, there's no... There's nothing to say that I'll die of it. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something else might happen. Yes. Um, what it has done for me, um, and I, again, I sh there's ways of getting to this point anyway, but the presence that it brings around my son, you know, that, that like how precious each day is, you know, little nine-year-old boy, you know, um, it just means that I, I show up. Yes. And, and so, yeah, in that sense, it, it, it's, been, it's been a blessing. It's like that, what you were saying before is the last time, there's always going to be a last time. Like there was a time where my eldest daughter was the last time she grabbed my hand crossing the road and I probably wasn't present of that. And it means if you can kind of view the world, you know, and just being so much more appreciative of each of these kind of moments and the, the way you speak about your son is I wonder if we're all thinking along that around our own kids. Are we just so distracted at certain times that we're not actually fully kind of giving ourselves of that emotion, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, also, it, again, it talks to, um, I think both these guys are talking about it, this, you know, we don't like discomfort. Mm. So, you know, because I, I run death and dying workshops and, you know, I might say something like, um, you know, sometimes I think about the fact that my son could die anytime, mm. And, you know, that's met with horror. It's like, God, you can't think like that. And it's like, well, but do you know how much that powers my love for him in the moment? Mm. Like having that thought, it's a deeply uncomfortable thought, but man, you know, 
if I think like that, I'm showing up for Jack with everything I have that yes. night. And the fact is, it's true, no, whether you like it or not. Yes. That we're humans. And and we've kind of, you know, we've, we've basically shoved death um, under the carpet, you know. And it's the greatest teacher that we have. Yes. You know, and without death, I, you, no one, you don't want to live forever, man. Nothing mm. would, Nothing would be alive for you like it is now. Yes. You know, you go out and you see a sunset and you see, if you could see infinite sunsets, you're going to get bored of them. I guarantee it, right? And, and there's not going to be that motivation. You're not going to have the creative drive to want to climb Everest and win medals at the Olympics yes. and, and, you know, playing grand finals. It all comes down to, you know, the connection that death has with beauty. What, what, why do we care about a, um, um, a rose in a vase um, and see that as so much more beautiful than a plastic one. Mm. Well, it's alive and it's dying right in front of my eyes. Mm. And a really good practice to bring you into presence is to actually buy some flowers and witness them die. Tell you what, people are going to be walking into the ocean at the moment just on their on their daily walks <laughs> here at the moment. I mean, that is just, I mean, it's just you, you need to to take those moments and just reflect on that, don't you? You're doing it. It's hard to hear. I totally get that. Yeah. But, you know, in all of our lives, we're going to be confronted with moments of death. And in fact, we've all died. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lovely Irish proverb that says, um, death comes in the middle of a long life. Mm. And what we mean by that is that we have lots of little deaths. You know, our physical death is just one of them. Mm. But, you know, when, when code hits the retire button, that's a death, right? You know, or, or, or we, we lose a family member or we lose our vitality or we lose a dream. These are all de- or a relationship. These are all deaths and we don't honour them. We push them under the carpet and that just, again, disconnects us from soul. So you want to honour those as deaths and have a little, have yes. little moments where you kind of like go through it, feel yes. the grief and, 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 and the process and, and then you learn the lessons from it. But if you just ignore them, then death isn't being a teacher for you anymore. You're just shoving everything down and down and down, right? So in one of the practices, you know, we do in our community is like literally do a timeline. Yes. And go back as far back as you can go, like draw a line on a piece of butcher's paper and put a little X beside all the deaths that you've had and actually over time go back and grieve for them. Like, you know, I wanted to be a tennis player when I was a teenager. I worked really bloody hard. Yeah. And I remember when that slipped out of view and I didn't, I just pretended it didn't matter, you know, started going out with my mates and getting drunk and, chasing girls and doing all, you know, like the mm. things that I wasn't really leaning into when I was putting so much energy into tennis and, and then told myself, oh, this is better. Do you it's think easier. If you don't, if you right? don't grieve yeah. the death of that, do you think we then hang on to that and that becomes our stories and narratives? Like do you need to actually, to, to, do you actually need to face that? It's trauma. That? Yeah. Ryan, this is why we have such a, you know, we live in a traumadelic culture. Yes. And it's because of, a lot of it's because of we have, we, we don't know how to do grief. Right, like extended long-term grief is PTSD. Yeah, so true. Right, so we've got to figure out where those moments and those deaths have been, and we've got to go back and do the proper grieving for them. And mm. you know, this is—I'm being very generalistic here, yeah, but, no, but okay. uh, just to kind of make the point. But you know, I think a large part of what we've lost in modernity and the culture that we have now is is um, the inability to grieve. You know, it's like, um, you know, when 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 I lost my sister, like some of my family members, you know, they went and saw people about that and, you know, try to put them on, 
yes. on medication. I'm like, hang on a second. Mm. Like they're meant to feel this. You know, I, 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 um, I lived in Africa for a little while and it's totally different. It's like, you know, I remember if a, if a, if a mother lost her child, like they would, they would, they'd be on the ground, like covering themselves in mud, rolling around in the dirt and, and screaming and, and, and yelling and throwing stuff. And people would come and sit and, or stand and just be, just feel it. Yes. And just, you'd, there'd be people in this honouring. She's almost doing the grieving for not just herself but for the community because life is hard, right? And so these people are honoured. Like try doing that in Burke Street and see what happens to you. Yeah. Oh, in the divvy van. Yeah. 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 You know, so I think as a culture we've really got to reconnect with our grief and knowing that it's just the other side of the coin of love. Yes. Like the only reason you grieve is because you love something so much. So if we avoid the grieving part, we're avoiding the loving part. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So the quality of your grief is really connected to how deeply you loved, you know? So true. And the more things you're facing, you know, like my parent, my, you know, my dad's passed away, mum's like, you know, 81 and, you know, you've got so much more coming into our lives that I guess that we're, we're facing, you know, and we're, and again, like you say, you never know when something could happen as well. We kind of live like everyone's going to be here forever and it's just not the case, is it? And it's, it's so funny you say that, man, because I, I, the most, one of the common things I hear when someone starts yeah. working with me, I'm yeah. like, so, you know, tell me what's going on. And they say something, something like, you know, when I'm 80, I don't want to look at, look back at my yes. life and, yeah. and I'm like, let's just stop right there. <laughs> so true. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's, like, uh, it's not a given. It's not, a, it's, I mean, I, and just, I'm, I'm conscious of one's time as well, but I guess we've got a lot of deep thinkers around the table. You know, do you have a, like a life philosophy now? Maybe you hand on, I'm just going to throw it to you, but like, or, if you if you think about what is a life well lived like you know what is the philosophy that you feel that at this moment in your life is the way that you you feel is the way to live life it's got to be chocolate in there Ryan for it sure. has to be chocolate my <laughs> wife would say that as well <laughs> it has to be milk as life well life well lived yes. includes eating chocolate i so if I look back, I think it was probably a good 10 years ago, I put together just a, a framework around living with presence, living with purpose and um, living with a smile. Yes. And I think, you know, there's some really basic tenets of life and and frameworks that we can apply across all of the different areas, sport, career, family, relationships, et cetera, et cetera. I, for me, like we're generally attracted to the things that help us the most per se and I've found I, the gratitude, practising gratitude daily I and in when I look at mindfulness, I it's been I'm work in progress, as we've said many times is in this conversation, the there's this curiosity aspect of mindfulness. And for me, if I look back over the past couple of years, the athlete that I was 
being very, you know, this is what I eat, this is when I sleep, this is how I think, this is, these are my cues, these are my processes. Everything was so structured. Mm. And now bringing in this curiosity and play has helped me get out of up here in my head and back into my body and start connecting these two things again. And so for me, play has now become a really important framework that I use as a lens throughout the day. Mm. And if you had a camera on me for today, for example, I was doing my mobility exercises this morning and I had the music going and I'm a terrible dancer and so I'm like doing all these wiggly things and I'm really glad nobody can see me right now. I, so bringing play back in. So while I still have those, those presence and purpose and, and, and smiling, so f- feeling good per se, but gratitude and play have come into the forefront of life at the moment. It makes, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Cody, like you're at the start of your journey in some ways, mate, and, you know, it's an evolving philosophy, I guess, or the way we look at life is an evolving. But if you were to sum it up at the moment for yourself, where, where do you see things at the moment? Yeah, similar to the end there. I, um, For me, I think the philosophy or the, I guess, the mission statement for me, it's um, chasing my natural high. So someone that's never touched a single drug in my life, which is uncommon yes. for people my age now. Mm-hmm. Um I still feel like I've had natural drugs. There's moments in life where you feel that, what it must feel like to be on drugs where you're charged and you feel so whole and present. Um, and that can be extreme where it's, I don't know, I recently did a hike in Vietnam in yes. Sapa and it was so cool. Or it's um, seeing your kid do something and it just fills you with joy and that alive feeling. Um, I want to squeeze as many of those moments into my life as possible. Um, and so I'm constantly on the search for that. It can, yeah, it can be really extreme. It can be day to day, but noticing those, um, and, and looking for those, they're often hand in hand with being uncomfortable. Um, but also really alive and, um, fulfilled. Cause you do art as well, don't you? Which yep. is something which is a big part of your life. It's like a, um, we had, Harry Moffat on and he talked about always having a third thing, you know, your kind of vocation, your family and something that you can be passionate about. Is art that for you? For sure, yeah. That yeah. came back into my life um, over the last couple of years particularly um, and there's an element of that. It's it, In itself, it's one of my meditations for sure. Yes. I, As someone with ADHD, I will just lock in and be so fixated on that piece of mm. art for three hours without realising. Yes. I've, forgotten to eat dinner and uh, <laughs> it's amazing how it can happen. Yeah. Whereas what put a movie on and I will not get through the movie. Yes. Um, just doesn't grab me like that. And, and it's not the way I get present. Um, so yeah, it, my art's something that I've, I'm so into right now. It's, um, it really is like my hobby, which footy always was. And yes. then footy does become a little bit of a job now. Um, there's a different exchange when money gets involved with mm. what you're doing on the day to day. And, um, now I've, I've, found that new love and passion. Um, not that I've lost it with footy. It's just a different dynamic now. And, sure. Um, I've really got that with my art now. And um, There's a, a live feeling when you finish a piece and yeah. you put it on your own wall and you <laughs> see that every day and you just look at it. I made that. A manifestation. Someone couldn't care yeah. less about it. it. For me, it feels great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate, I've, I've looked at it. It looks, looks great, mate. It looks <laughs> really you. good. It looks great. And 
Asher, is there some that's something that you can kind of just reflect on there? And I know that you'll you'll have a different spin on this, I'm sure. Oh, not really, actually. I mean, yeah. what I've heard from both these guys has just been how I would answer it. Like, I yes. think you know, for starters, like playfulness and curiosity and gratitude are, are right up there for me. I think all those things. And I was thinking when you were speaking, Han, you know, the idea of of, of happiness. Yes. You know, it's not a chase like happiness is not a destination i remember um it was a there was a program on 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 free to and it was called destination happiness and i was like <laughs> oh god like doomed from the start yeah, yeah yeah like it's not a destination yeah. like it's you know it's not a pursuit of happiness it's a happiness of the pursuit but you know the the idea is that um happiness is, is really happeningness it's actually being grateful for the present moment that's where the word comes from and so what han's talking about yeah. the side effect of all that staying playful, staying curious and being grateful is happiness, the side effect of all that. So you do those things and it's just there, right? Um, and then moving on to what Codes was saying, I remember the first time you showed me a piece of uh, I was like, it blew me away. I was like, yeah. but this is this is Codes' uh, soul language. Yeah. Like, you know, like you got to get back in touch with those things that, 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 that gave you joy, yes. the, the creative expression when you're a kid, perhaps. Like I don't know when yeah. drawing started for you, probably at an early age. Yeah. That's because that's a gift from the soul and you've got to stay in touch with that. You know, I remember there's a story, one of my mentors, he was talking about traveling in a, in a, in a, um, uh, an African country and, and there was a, a woman there who was just weaving all the time, weaving, you know, on the weaving, weaving, weaving. And um, he was there with his wife and his wife went up to her and said, you know, what's all this about? Like, why are you, are you waving all the time? What, what are you actually doing here? And she said, saving my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. in a sense, it's true because <laughs> like if everyone's got their, their soul, their own soul language, their creative expression yes. and they're doing that, it, the relationship's going to bloom. Well, if I get home awesome. and Rach is weaving, I'll know what's going on. Yeah, maybe. You know, <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, She's waved a lot of baskets. Yeah, that's right. The <laughs> house is covered in baskets. No, but, um, but you know, I'm, I'm not really one for aphorism so much, but yes. in terms of life's philosophy, it'd be for me to be something like, you know, don't worry about the length of it. Focus on the breadth. Yes. It's so, it's so, it's so great. And, look, I, I might kind of start bringing it to an end, but I, I think people will be listening today and I think just reflecting a lot, you know, on where we find ourselves at life and it's not the ascend, it's kind of going deeper and starting to kind of listen and, and even just starting to ask the question about soul and, and where we're at at this moment of our life and are we distracting ourselves from the real feeling and are we trying to live life like we're living forever? You know, these kind of beautiful moments that are presenting themselves every single day, you know, going and seeing your kids. You know, and looking at them like you've never seen them before again, you know, and, and, and the relationships that maybe we haven't been engaging with because we've had some crazy story and narrative that we've created for ourselves or all these other things that surround us at the moment. I think it's maybe just a great chance just to, to take stock um, again and, and just kind of reflect. But I know after today, everyone's going to want to start to know a little bit more about you guys as well. And Han, you're doing so many amazing stuff and you're out there helping other people as well. Can you, if people are trying to find out more about you, can you kind of share a bit more about that? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. So jump on my website, hannahmcdougall.com.au and I also re-entered Instagram after having wow. 12 months off uh, and that was driven by long and hard thought of how can I continue to share my story and the learnings in it yeah. and because there's been some big ones recently, uh, it was a medium 
that I am fully aware of how draining it can be, but then also how powerful it can be as well. Yes. So, uh, but at the end of the day, I am Melbourneian. I love a coffee and it's yes. just, you know, let's actually meet face to face. And I'd say that if you, if you haven't come across Hannah, can you please do yourself a favour and go and check um, Hen's website out and about her because, you know, my privilege in all of this is I get to meet extraordinary people. Like I just feel so, I feel like I'm doing what I'm meant to do now in, in my own small way. This is my creative outlet, Cody, in, in, in a way because I just, get, I just get to learn and just meet extraordinary people and I think your story is absolutely amazing and um, I'll be following interest and hopefully I can buy you coffees over the time and learn more from you as well, Han. It was just so beautiful listening to you today. I'm going to double down on Han before yeah. you go there because I just want to express my gratitude for, for Han too. I mean, you are, you're a special friend and um, I, I just love sitting around a table and having a conversation with both you guys. But, you know, I'm sitting here laughing at what Han's talking about because she's talking about what an elite cyclist she is, and, and she is, but she's yeah. got a pool in Melbourne named after her. You know? Yeah, I know. And, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that she's literally just come home from Europe with a gold medal and a bronze medal. Yeah, can you just share well. that a little bit, please? I think this is absolutely <laughs> worth it because it's just it's something you need that oh, – I'm not saying the recognition because we're after, but people need to understand what you've been achieved. So can you just share that as well? Thank you. And thank you, Ash. A skill that I'm still learning but getting better at is instead of brushing uh, this aside and be like, oh, no, 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 you know, like let's yeah. focus on Cody and I want to yes. hear yeah. uh, and kind of dodging that way is to say generally thank you. Mm. Uh, and so if I look back, I got back from Europe, from Spain and Italy, racing my first international triathlons about four weeks ago now, and that was my first international trip since 2019, so pre-COVID, pre-aiming to qualify for Tokyo, all of those kinds of things. And so that's a long time between international dreams yes. as an athlete and having a harebrained dream of once I'd reshaped my leg, opening that door to triathlon and exploring this pathway of, well, you were swimmer for 10 years, you cycled for 10 years, you kind of started off in a little bit of running, so why not just tack that on the end? And going into that race with expectations of sitting within 20% of the winner to then start getting points to qualify for Paris next year and get it's uh, categorised within the Australian elite sports system again, high-performance sport, and tick all of their boxes per se. And the race in Spain I finished it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. The water was crazy choppy. I swallowed so much seawater. <laughs> uh, and then on the bike, it was a hairy bike course. And being an elite cyclist, I was glad that I had skills because my skills were failing me. So I was yes. like, how does everybody else survive yeah. here? Yeah. Uh, I nearly decked it a few times on the bike. And then for the run, that was the first time I'd ever run 5Ks on my blade. Before that, I'd only been doing using this machine at the Victorian Institute of Sport called an alter gravity machine essentially. So it's like wearing a giant tutu mm. and you poof yourself up to yep. a percentage of body weight. And so I'd been running at 50% body weight for maybe 20 minutes uh, because of leg issues. And so it was the hugest roll of the dice per se. And I... 
had a bit of a mantra of my cues, et cetera, that I'm using, but also tapping into the work that I did with Ash a couple of years ago around my soul name and what that means to me, uh, which is to do with being a mountain wolf and harnessing that during the run. And my leg didn't get sore to the last 300 metres of it. I was like, this is nuts. Mm. And crossing the finish line thinking I'd come dead last and going home, refueling, ice packs on the legs, recovering, my only other Aussie mate there then messages me and says, Hannah, are you coming down to Prezzo's? And I was like, oh, no, nah, mate, <laughs> I'm done. I've got ice packs off, uh, ice packs on. I'm just eating. That leg is not touching me again today. But unless you got a medal, I'll come down and I'll support you. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got my first silver. I'm like, oh, okay, right. You're not my favourite person, but I'm really excited for you. <laughs> <laughs> so they put the leg back on, ride back down, and they still didn't have the results. And I finally got there, find my mate Liam, and they put the results up and they had Hannah McDougall, number one, and I was like, I turned, I like messaged Liam, I'm like, Liam, they've got the results wrong. I think they've literally reversed it. They've kind of maybe, yeah, uh, yeah they, they, the computer's got it spat out wrong. And <laughs> after doing some deductions and for various reasons, I then 20 minutes later accepted that I did get the gold medal and was standing on that dais. And so a long time between drinks, many surgeries, many deaths of various descriptions, and that then opened the door to continue qualifying for Paris next year. So we've gone from a really harebrained, yeah, sure, maybe you can do it, we're going to support you but we think you're crazy kind of hand, yeah. to, oh, this, let's help turn this into a reality. Uh, so it was it was huge. That's, un- um, that's unbelievable. So that's nearly because you, you've got your Olympic bronze, you've got your world championships, and now you're getting a first, and this is at, what, what event was this? This was the World Cup. World level. Cup. So there's a few different yeah, levels yeah. in triathlon, oh, etc. It's just crazy. Um, it's absolutely, absolutely, it's, it's insane. <laughs> it, is, it is. I don't know. I mean, you just think about, you know, how many athletes in Australia would actually have been able to compete at so many different events? I don't think there'd be, I couldn't name any. Hmm. I don't yeah. know. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, only a handful, I think. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, that's, and, and so what, and also in the show notes, I'm going to put everything in all the connections, all this. So let's, let's bring Han home to make sure she gets, <laughs> gets there as well. And I'm sure that she probably needs some support as well. So if there's any corporates out there that want to get behind Han as well, I think there would be an amazing opportunity and you just need to have a coffee to understand just the inspiration you are. So we'll, uh, we'll try and get something going there. And, and Cody, what about you, mate? On your own Insta? I am. Yeah. Yep. If you want to. Follow me, go for it. <laughs> code, code really, he, he, he really goes, needs more followers. Yeah, that's what code needs. <laughs> what, what about what, anything that you're kind of passionate about that you think you'd like to give some attention to as well, mate? Um, yeah, we'll probably touch on my art a little bit. I've yes. got a separate account for that, which is um, another way that Instagram can be awesome to yes. to market that and or not even market it, but just show it. Sure. Um, share that language, I guess, because that's sort of what art is to me now. It's a way I can express myself and just get ideas that I wake up with out on the, on the floor or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I'm super into my art at the moment and I'm sort of navigating my way through how maybe I can do that post footy because it's the thing that I, I'd love to do now, I think. Now they say follow your passion and, and that's definitely it. So um, 
if you got some business ideas for me. Yeah, no, <laughs> we'll catch up. But what do you what do you reckon? What what's the um the the handle for that to go and check out the art? Yeah, just Cody Waitman Art. Okay, um, gotcha. Yeah, I actually need a new that. handle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you got any handle ideas? I'm open to that. Ask a silly question, get a silly answer. But um, uh, that's fantastic. And I'd yeah, again recommend everyone to have a look at. I was checking it out beforehand as well, mate. And when I get a permanent office, I've got. Derek here, who's the man behind the scenes, he makes all the magic happen here as well. So once we get a permanent place one time, we'll get some art up here too, mate. But Very good. That's fantastic. And last but not least, mate, you've got so many great things going and I'm personally looking at getting more involved with you now as well. So, you know, people are going to say, hey, how, how do I connect with Asher as well, mate? Can you just share that? Oh, look, the easiest way is, is probably just through my website, asherpackman.com. Yes. Um, everything sort of is there. Yeah. So that's easy enough. And the core things that you're doing now, mate. Yeah. Look, um, you know, hand touched earlier, um, uh, run a community, an online community called the fifth direction, yes. um, which was actually originally a physical studio in, in Melbourne, which is these guys were both, you know, coming along there. And then when COVID hit, um, everything went online. And since then, like a lot of the community is now based, you know, not just outside Melbourne, but outside Australia. Yes. So, so it's an online platform. Um, it's a simple. It's just a free download from the app store. Just look for for the Fifth Direction. Um, a lot of the stuff that we have there is is offered free of charge. Um, and and then there's you know you can do anything from work with me one on one through to some of the courses that that Han and um, has done and 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 codes as well. Yes. Um, there you go. Well, yeah. I mean, you've had such a massive impact on so many people, mate. And uh, and also just a testament today, you've just come from a really powerful session then just to kind of front up here today as well. So I just want to say thanks to everybody. Um, Cody, with the ADHD as well, and you've been able to sit in your seat for that <laughs> period of time. It might have been a world record as well, mate. So I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for you know just giving up your time. And I'm sure people listening today would have just got so much out of it. So thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Oh. 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 Oh.